Game Boys. Hey there, Internet, and welcome back to the Game Boys, Boys. podcast. Uh, my name is Lux. I am your host, and joining me as always, he just got back from touring with Jackson Maine. It's Griffin Davis. Hey. Yeah, we're doing uh, new songs. Someone said on Twitter, it was really funny, like, imagine being at a concert and your favorite artist closes with uh, a song you've never heard before from a different person. <laughs> yeah, didn't I, wait, didn't I complain about that to you in LA or did I complain about that to someone else? Uh, I, I don't know. It was a funny observation because she, she, in the movie, she ends multiple of his concerts with new songs, like before she's a discovered artist, which I thought was very well, funny. The truly brutal <laughs> one is the, is the one where she comes out at the bowl is fine. It's the one where like. He's like, and now the encore, and everyone's like, fuck yeah, we're going to hear that deep cut track we love. And he's like, by a stranger. Yeah. And then every, <laughs> and then like the lights come up and everyone isn't furious. That's like the most fantastical part of the whole movie. Well, you know, this is, I told you before that we started the podcast to do something a little more topical, but Stars Born, that's like two weeks ago, buddy. Stop living in the past because the present is immediate and it's arresting because in the present, we've been alerted by a uh, producer slash editor. Uh, of the podcast, Haley, that there is some groundbreaking video game news uh, today uh, that's been happening recently, or a discovery's been made, I, I should say, and that uh, that Super Smash Brothers secretly has sixty nine characters. Nice, nice. Yes. the The story goes. Um, now I have to pull up the image from the group chat um, to really explain this. But there's uh, there's like secretly. Like there's like sixty eight characters, but there's like secretly two sixty sixes. Yeah, well, it's two. I think it's two different versions of um characters from uh, one of those fucking punchy games. And so there's like a you can play as one of the guys or another guy who probably has the same move set, but they're technically like two different character models. So you've got sixty six twice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you've got which adds up to a total of sixty nine. Nice. Wow, Lux, you seem to be really moved by this. It's cool. It's interesting. I was weird. It's weird that they went from 64, a nice simple number, to 69 and still couldn't find room for Waluigi. But hey, look. Justice justice for Waluigi. Um, In other news, uh, I had something embarrassing happen to me and related to this podcast. Um, uh, I went on a first date and apparently she uh, she had checked my Instagram. And so she was like, so what's Gamer Bros? (laughs) <laughs> Whoa, she didn't even bother to read all the letters? Well, that's what I'm concerned about, and that's what I wanted to bring up. Is the logo, when it's shrunken down, as someone idly scrolls by it, does it look like Gamer Bros? I truly... I am very concerned about this I now. truly think, as someone who scrolls by it every week when I set up the podcast upload and write the descriptions the and do all that stuff... We should ask our guest. Guest, what do you think? Um... It looks like Game Boys to me. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All no, right. I mean, I that's see it. Gonna, I do all the. That's going to serve you well over the next hour. I do all the digital upload business for the show, and I see it every time, and it always looks like Game Boys to me. Um. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I'm a little nervous, and rightfully so. Well, um, I mean, I think maybe that's not the conclusion to take away from the data you just got. But <laughs> look, you do, you do, you do. Um, Griffin, how are you doing aside from uh, humiliated these days? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, when I'm not humiliated, you might find me lounging on my couch, uh, playing a golf story, finishing that up. But uh, I've, ex- I've talked about this on the podcast before, and it's that it's that moment when a, a big game is about to come out and I tell people that I'm not going to buy it. And then just like all the videos come out and I and I end up buying it. But this time with Red Redemption, Red Redemption, Red Redemption Redemption 2, which is a game title I can say. Mm-hmm. Fred's I Red Redemption. 
Yeah, Fred's Bread Redemption. I legitimately cannot afford Fred's Bread Redemption this year. I can't. It's not in my bank account's possibilities to purchase it this month. Just by law, <laughs> by the laws of physics. Uh, the fourth rule. Uh, and I'm wondering it, how, I, how am I going to pull it off this time? Is basically uh, what I'm asking. You know, look, I don't know. I'm t- I'm actually with you. I'm probably not going to buy it. Also, I'm maybe Patrick or Burfwell, will, but like, here's the thing. It's 99 fucking gigabytes of hard drive space, and I ain't got that kind of space to give. That's the worst excuse, I think. No, that, dude, that's because a I terrible have, no, excuse. it's not, because I share a PlayStation with two other people who all play large-scale RPGs and shit. Sacrificing a quarter of the hard drive to a game that costs a bunch of money that may or may not even be that good is not a good choice. No, it looks, it looks so good. It looks so sweet. They leaked like a 24-second thing on t- on Twitter today or on Reddit, and it was so good. It's going to be so great. See, Griffin? I'm going to, like, wash cars at the stoplight yeah, or something see, like that. I'm getting this game on Friday. Yeah, I don't get I don't even get this bit because you're just like, I'm not going to buy this game. Look, say you told me not buying this game, and no matter what I say, it becomes a reason why you want to talk yourself into buying the game. No, but the problem is I legitimately do not have sixty four fifty nine. Yeah, but I'm sure you can, you know, like you say, you wash cars or sell lemonade or like make some calls, spin some you signs, can like you can figure out. So basically, thank you. So which segues me perfectly to uh, the first GoFundMe on this podcast for Griffin to play Red Dead Redemption 2, because you're going to want his take. Okay. It's going to be wildly different from all the other ones on the Internet. If you're going to here's the me. thing, if you are listening to the show and you have Venmo, send some money to Griffin. His Venmo tag is at Michael dash Luxembourg. Um, which is a weird <laughs> choice. Um, that's M I C H A E L dash L U X E M B U R G. And if you want to help Griffin by Red Dead, just send some money there via Venmo. Thank you for your support. I expect to receive Venmo notifications any minute now. <laughs> oh my God. Venmo notifications <laughs> is like the worst fucking ad charging phrase I've ever fucking heard. Um, <laughs> receive Venmo notifications about your friends and what burgers they've paid for. Um, okay. <laughs> Who they're displaying um, meals with. Um, here's what's going on with me, Griffin, because you didn't ask because you're very rude. Blah. Uh, I just have a f- lot of things going on in my <laughs> life, and I don't, and I've got blinders on. Yeah, I'm aware of them at least. Your tunnel vision right now. Tunnel vision of solving the Red Dead puzzle. Um, but I've had an up and down week. Let me tell you about it. Because last week I fell through a, ca- uh, fell through a porch, as we talked about on the show, and was injured. Uh, this week it became infected and exploded with fell through a boat. Oh, okay. It became infected (laughs) and exploded with a nightmare of goo. Um, so that was bad, but then we had the party world wrestling show in Houston and that what, what exploded with goo? Why did I ask the, cause I fell through the porch and I got a puncture in my leg and it got infected. And then the like infected thing became an ocean of nightmares. Why are you telling me this? Because to give some context to me being very in a good mood now, so I just got back from Houston for the Party World Wrestling show, and it was a rousing success. Okay. Well, I, I, I see why you needed the first part of the story. <laughs> you asked where my head was at earlier in the show, and I was saying that if there's any I'm reason. I'm disgusted. I need to get a, I need a breath of fresh air, and How thankfully we have I one. feel, dude? It's coming out of my <laughs> leg. <laughs> uh, we'll make sure to, make sure to, uh, we'll send some, uh, we'll send, we'll post some pictures of, of Lux's leg, um, to uh to the Twitter. Yeah, we'll pull some um, pictures from the Instagram. Uh, I desperately need to think about something else. Thank goodness that we have an incredible guest that's brought on an incredible game. Uh 
this guest is an artist. Uh, I met them uh, on film sets. They're an incredible uh, sound aficionado. Uh, they are a tea master. Um, they're, they're just a, a person of experience in all sorts of incredible ways. And we have so much to talk about. Welcome to the podcast, Crow Dumi. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're so happy to have you, uh, Crow. We've had your brother, uh, Eric, on the podcast, on the live show. That's where it was. Uh, and yes. And he was talking about everything, the David O'Reilly game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and we, you know, we got a little derailed because we had another host uh, on there. Um, that was uh, Mason Pitluck. Uh, shouts out to him. Um, but uh, overall, that was a great episode. But I think the pick today is, 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 much, is much stronger. I'm very excited about this pick. Before we get into the pick, we should learn a little bit more about Crow Doomig. I, I think I should preface this by saying like I didn't always draw. Drawing was not like a childhood passion that I've been doing for years and years. Um, drawing was historic has historically for me been kind of like a it's been a talent that I've sort of relegated to like other people like oh other people have this natural talent for drawing and I'm going to let those people do that and I'm totally going to explore the same way. you know like other other art forms that came a little bit more natural to, naturally to me like music or something like I, I, could, I could sing as a kid so I was like cool I'll just like write music and stuff like that um, but your question about video games being an influence I mean obviously yes they're a huge influence because like when I was growing up uh, my twin and my my siblings and I had limited screen time like my 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 parents didn't let us just have unfettered time to watch TV or play video games or any of that kind of stuff and so if I only got you know say three hours of screen time in a day that's between, shared screen and that's time shared too, right? yeah it's shared screen time <laughs> Which it's like, I would hate if, I, my brother did not play video games. And I mean, it felt like a curse because I wanted someone to play them with, but it's probably for the best. Right. And it's like and that was also like screens in general. So that's computer, that's TV and that's video games. So it's like if I only got three hours of screen time a day, like all three hours went to Nintendo. Absolutely. That was just that was an easy decision. Like ninety nine percent of the days it was a hundred percent. Nintendo was the one for you. Yeah, for for every generation of video games except for the Super Famicom, mm-hmm. it, it, in which case I oh, had old school. I had a Sega Genesis in that. Um <laughs> well but yeah to to answer your question, yeah, I mean video games definitely play like a huge role and they've been a constant, you know source of influence just from the design elements and the story structures and sure, everything. But Nintendo specifically. Now, you're a Nintendo yeah. head. Have you ever strayed past? You ever cheated on Nintendo with a, a little bit of Sony or a little Sega. bit of Xbox? Sega, actually. So, okay. as I was saying before, Nintendo like... Nintendo adjacent. It, it, it is kind of yes. Nintendo adjacent. I mean, in the Super <laughs> Nintendo days, so I had an NES. Like, I didn't... It wasn't technically mine. My older brother had an NES in, like, the early 90s. Um, and then when Sega Genesis and uh, Super Nintendo came out, I got Eric and I, my twin and I um, opted to go with Sega Genesis because in addition to limited screen time, 
when we were little, we were we were not allowed to buy one player games because my mom is a wise woman and she knew that that would be a blood feud if we had to switch off between <laughs> who was playing and who was watching the one player game. You got to respect the mom for knowing even that much about video games to, to make that kind of crucial parenting decision. Yeah, very crucial parenting decision. So she was basically said we can only buy games that have at least two controllers on the back of the game cartridge. Oh, um, and so we felt in that decision making time, which we were like four or five when when um, when Sega Genesis came out, that Sega Genesis just had better multiplayer games available. Now, in retrospect, you know, obviously Super Nintendo is like such a huge um such a huge system for Nintendo fans in general. Like so many of their most iconic games come from that era. And I'm kind of sad that I miss them, but a lot of them are one player games like Earthbound and the Mario games and things like that. Whereas Genesis had Mortal Kombat, Genesis had Sonic. So we're talking, you haven't, you didn't go on the, on the massive single player experience till later in life is what you're saying. Basically. I think the first one player only game that I, that we were ever allowed to buy was legend of Zelda Ocarina of time. Sure. Yeah. Well, that um, is, and we uh, had to beg our mom to let us get that because <laughs> like, she was like, it's a one player game. I don't know if we can get that. And we were like, mom, we will be good. We must play this game. <laughs> it's on the, it was on the N64, right? Yeah. So, so after put hands on each one of those side things, you could play it like on one controller. Yeah. Together. We could just share. That's what the third. There stick were was three for. handles. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, after Genesis, we went back to Nintendo for 64 and, and, and GameCube. <laughs> and then after GameCube, uh, Eric and I kind of like took a break from video games. Um, we just we were in high school wow, and we wanted to ta- you know focus on other things for a little while. We had been playing video games our entire lives, and we were also just getting I think a little bit more into like computers and stuff, and but using them not so much for video games and more for like aim chatting with our potential you know with like friends and like potential love interests so sure sure um, you you decided to to choose life yeah we decided to choose (laughs) life over literature Um, but well well, that's all very interesting um so the single player games came in later and yeah i you know i think when we became friends in austin i think it was kind of near the rebirth of your video game playing absolutely Uh, when we became friends uh you know you had Recently gotten a PlayStation 4, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes. Um, and I mostly bought that to be a Blu-ray player. It was like, <laughs> I needed a Blu-ray player. I wanted to be able to watch Blu-rays. And it was like, a Blu-ray player costs $100, $150. And a PlayStation 4 costs $300 and can play PlayStation games. <laughs> so, like, there was a very clear choice there. But then shortly after the PlayStation, we also got a Wii U because that was also like shortly after I started dating Laura, who I can kind of credit to, to like bringing back the kind of video gamey sure, aesthetic. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Laura Lewis, friend of the pod, yeah, Animal the pod. Crossing episode. Right. Wow. Yeah. Early Laura, callbacks. Early. Laura yeah, was also on the podcast early. I think she was like, what, episode three or something? She uh, was in fact episode three. Now you mentioned the Wii U, uh, which I don't believe exists. Uh, I don't think that was a console that occurred. Uh, I'm not sure that that actually is a thing that happened. True, It is true. I'll, 
oh, and it, it's basically a Wii, but without a dumb stick <laughs> with a normal controller. <laughs> oh, wow. Some some some, uh, some shots fired against the Wii shots fired against the Wii. Uh, Wait, okay, so here's a question. Any- yeah, I have a question. If you didn't like the Wii controllers, how do you feel about the Joy-Cons on the Switch? I like them only when they're docked in that bigger controller that they give you. I don't mm. I very rarely use the Joy-Cons. And and granted, I haven't gotten that many games for the Switch yet. I know sure. there are several out, but like pretty much any time I've played it, whether I'm playing Splatoon or Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild or anything, I pretty much always take the two Joy-Cons off Gotta and put dock them em, on, the, on the controller. Gotta dock them. For the, just for the snap and that sound. Yeah, uh, yeah but, but I, love, I love a loose Joy-Con. You, uh, a loose Joy-Con, I'm starting to fall back in love with the loose Joy-Con because Thanks of the Mario, Mario Party. Party. Yeah. You gotta put the task on it, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I call the little bumpers, um, and uh, and it's like they they don't make sense. Like they're weird. Feels like you might accidentally swallow it. Like, I, 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 I'm I sorry, that last one is not a real problem for anyone. <laughs> they are just tiny enough that it's like it's on that swallowing danger. It might zone, just slip into in your mouth. Opinion. You know, I think so. I mean, I mean look, and then down your throat. Like, it looks like a giant lemon slice, like a candy. Fans of the podcast are yeah. nodding right now. In their cars as they're listening to this. That's yeah, because happened. you just said something Please crazy, and I told them you said something um, crazy. If you accidentally swallowed uh, a Nintendo Switch Joy-Con, you are not alone. Uh, this is a safe space for you. Uh, okay, but you have picked a very important, incredible game. So I think before we waste any more time, we have to get into this game and okay. we can start Great. with a little bit of history. Yes, and and to preface, I had wanted to talk about this game on this podcast for some time, but it is a hundred plus hour game, and it took me several time se- several. It took me about a hundred and twenty five or one hundred and thirty hours to complete this game. I knew I wanted to have completed the game before coming on and talking about it, but I don't actually own the game. Uh, my brother's roommate Wilson bought the game, and so I could only play. When I was at Eric's house and playing Wilson's Persona 5. That, okay, well, that's, we, my mind is blown by that. We'll have to immediately talk about that. Mm -hmm. Immediately after, we get into a little bit of history about this game. Digital Devil Story Megami Tensei is a trilogy of science fantasy books written by Japanese author Aya Nishitani in the 1980s. A huge success in Japan, the stories incorporated familiar tropes of romance with darker fantasy and demons. Inspired video game producer Atlas decided to create role-playing games heavily influenced from the novels and released two games for the Famicom system in 1987. The games were a hit and kickstarted the Megami Tensei franchise which would grow for the next three decades. But while the games proved successful in Japan, they were criticized as too weird for North American audiences for their depictions of religious cults, cannibalism, and sexual conduct with minors and demons that reached unfortunate levels of bestiality. Alice decided they had to make something more normal for Americans, and their attempt was the Persona series, a spinoff that focused on the inner struggles of young adults. The first Persona was referred to at the time as a sleeper hit with its combination of modern-day horror stories and the challenges of high school socializing. It proved to be normal enough to help establish both Atlas and Megami Tensei in North America. Since then, the Persona series has become a fixture of the JRPG community in 
America with multiple sequels, but in 2016 they would reach all new heights with Persona 5, which has been described by many as one of the greatest role-playing games of all time. Within three weeks of its launch in Japan, the game became Alice's best-selling title in Japan, with every major gaming site ranking it as one of the top 10 games you must play for the PlayStation 4. This week on Game Boys, you'll never see it coming with Persona 5. Yo, the last to know it, my last surprise. Um, Wow, I'm very excited to talk yeah, about this um, game. Let's fucking turn yes. about this one. Let's get right back to what you said right before very I excited. talked about that history. What on earth? Uh, it seems like uh, a war crime to play this game on someone else's PlayStation because that means that you are literally taking someone's PlayStation hostage for 125 hours. Well, in, in my defense, um, for about... A hundred of those 125 hours, there were two PlayStation 4s at Eric and Wilson's house because Eric and I own a PlayStation 4 and then Wilson owns a PlayStation 4. So at the time, I was living with Eric and Wilson for periods of time because I was frequently subleasing my house in Austin uh, and... I was staying with them, and but Eric had taken our PlayStation to his house, and Wilson also had a PlayStation. So for a time, they had like a PlayStation inside, and then they also have a screened-in back porch that had a TV and a PlayStation out there. It's Truly a game excellent den. set. It's a great setup. It is, and so I so Wilson's was the one that was out on the back porch. So I played most of my time in Persona Five on that back porch some of which was during the winter time so i would like put on gloves and a and a cap (laughs) and a coat and sit out there like all night while eric and wilson are sleeping playing persona 5 in like 40 degree weather i'm crying that is the most beautiful thing i've ever heard that's very good my fingers got really stiff a lot of the time because they had been I'd oh. been sitting out there for like three hours or four hours oh. and like playing this game. There has to where's the biopic? Where is the biopic of this? This is <laughs> this is a human feat. This is one of those great human achievements. It's really become yeah like a pretty iconic game experience for me just because yeah in addition to it being such a such a a complex and and memorable game the experience of playing it was was very interesting i mean like uh i I have a way more fucked up borrowed someone's uh setup story which is that uh in college my 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 roommate had the really nice tv and he was like a sports guy and did not play games and then skyrim came out and i just was just i just dominated that TV with Skyrim in a fucked up way looking back on it like I'm I'm disappointed in myself like I'm for that like he gave all sorts of signs you know and I was just I was like like man dude I'd really like to watch the game today and you're like you are watching the game right now look at that that is a dragon (laughs) look at this beautiful game (laughs) Um, but uh, so why did you decide to bring up Persona 5 this week um well other than these incredible, I mean, the fact that you just went through hell and back to yeah, right. Right. for this podcast. Right. right. And the thing and is, I, that, that story alone justifies it. So I think we're good. But right. yeah, I mean, I only just finished it on a recent trip back to Austin. Um, so now I can come on the podcast and talk about it because I finally actually finished the game after moving to Los Angeles and doing all of these other things and having all of these big breaks in the gameplay. But then I, I finished the last maybe 20 hours of the game on this in August on this most recent trip back. 
August and September to Austin. I went back to do to work on a feature with Eric. Uh, that's what I do as like my main job is I'm a boom operator. I think we mentioned that. But um, Eric and I did a show and then I had some time still in Austin before coming back to L.A. And that's when I finished the game. So, you know, this game, a lot to talk about, but we should probably, you know, we should probably take it in chunks. So right. like what, what, Wait, what, part of the, what do you think of first of this game? Like we should talk about what this game actually is. So like like Griff said, it's like a huge right. JRPG. The premise of it basically right. is that you are a teen, you've changed to a new high school because you were involved in a conflict with a rich man of power who you later find out is a crazy uh, megalomaniac politics man, but that's sort of, we'll get to that. But then as you go through the game, you help various corrupt people in positions of authority change their hearts by going into like basically their subconscious mind zone, which is called a palace, which always has some sort of manifestation of the sort of person they are and things that they want. And you sort of use personas, which are projections of your own mind to deal with their shit. And as you go through the game, right. you make a bunch of friends with people in the town and people at your school and people who you fight crime and, and do persona shit with. Um, and so that's basically the whole, that's the very broad version of the game, but that's what you're dealing it's with. It's just like a high school. It's like simulating high school social relationships. And then alongside like a dark fantasy world that lives underneath the school. It's like, right. It's like Buffy or and, anything like that. Right. You and know, so it becomes fun. kind of a, well, except it goes way beyond. Right. It's like, it's, no, it's, 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 it's exactly style. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah. So this game is very complex. It's like, it's, it's, it, by the standards of other video games, it would be like multiple games in one because it, it yes. like in the real world, it's a social sim like where you have a character who's like the protagonist of the thing and you can up their kind of social stats, whether that's like their knowledge or their charm or their guts or things like that. And then you can also make all of these have all these relationships with what are called confidants, which all correspond with the 20 tw well 20 out of the 22 cards 20 21 out of the 22 cards of the major arcana of the tarot and so um and they help you in the other half of the game which is like a dungeon crawling kind of party battler kind yeah, of like the people, Final that, Fantasy. the people that you just like become closer friends with or the people you want to make out with harder you know you, you spend more time with them and they, then they become more powerful in the other world which if that's how friendships work i mean that'd be really cool i think you know, if I got if if I got right, yeah, it was just I wish a friend gave a superpower to me. That would be one of my, very cool. I mean, that would be tight. What are friends? I wish for? even one of my friends gave me an XP bonus. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah like group party experience. Unfortunately, so yeah. So overall, just like yeah. I gotta get that moon. I gotta get that moon tarot all the way. <laughs> oh up yeah, as fast yeah. as you can. Um, the moon tarot. I he Mishima was one of the so what stands out to you I the most up. though about this game? Like, what do you? Well, what, what, I what, what, what's like? Where's the love at for this? Where's the you know? I mean, I the, have the juice. I have always been a huge fan of RPGs and JRPGs in particular, although I haven't really played a whole lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just love any RPG that has like a really complex and robust, uh, system for upping your character yes. and, and growing your character. Sure. And I like RPGs that have like multiple pathways. Yes. Cause, where, my, cause my experience will be way different than yours and right. who you decide to play with and stuff like that. The, and yeah. there's so many different, it's like a tree, we'll you know, it's not it just, it's not just like a, <laughs> the trunk and then there's like one and then there's like multiple divergence. It's like, no, there are several trunks 
of the tree and then still like so many different pathways because there's different pathways that you can take with your confidants you know which confidants you up and which you don't like which ones you have significant relationships with there's also your personas and like which personas you do and which you know and 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 using yeah, the velvet like, room to sure. to form new personas and things like that there's so many lots of different different avenues to like to, to have a very unique gameplay experience well and what makes that so cool and the way they do it and the way it's really effective is that they is the way that they use time and the amount of time that they give you per day and the amount of time it takes you to do right. tasks because in a lot of jrpgs a lot of jrpgs you can fill up various like friend meters or achievement things or level up or grind to perfection because it doesn't have like a, a limit on how much action and actions you can take but because persona is like you get a day thing a night thing like a morning thing or whatever you only have so many choices you can make unless you make every choice exactly right, which you probably won't because people have like some weird randomized schedules and stuff like that. Like you will inevitably have different choices than other people because there's just a limit to how much you can do. Like there's no min max right. option. Really. And I also loved how that kind of encourages the player to role play themselves like to really put themselves into this protagonist character of joker you know that you're you I forgot like, his name is joker right well his 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 like in mind game he's called right in, well so joker is like his name in the metaverse and then yeah, yeah. you the the protagonist you name yourself i named my protagonist protagonist yuki aomori um because it does ask for a first name and last name um I heard in the manga version of this, his name is uh, Akira Kurusu, and in the anime, his name is Ren Amiyama, but I named my guy Yuki Amori. Um, That's one thing. This franchise is really big and does have uh, a bunch of other properties surrounding it at this point, right. um, but this is really this was really my first experience with uh, mm-hmm. this franchise, and I think it was like a really solid one. Um, what stood out to me with this game is style. Right. Uh, I think it does a lot of the same things that all the other ones do, but it's like vision and style and it's like setting and just everything it does in every corner, whether it's like a menu or the combat and all the little details. The music. Uh, and the music and the art, like all of that stuff is what sets it apart from all the other ones, uh, in my right, opinion. Right, totally. Yeah, well, what makes this one so cool is that Personas 3 and 4 are both amazing. So I've for, for context, I've played all the Persona games and also all the Shin Megami Tensei games. Wow. That's okay. a that's a lot of I, gameplay I hours. I love this franchise a lot. I love this franchise the way that Griffin loves Kingdom Hearts. Like this is my favorite shit of all. By, shit. by stark contrast, I this was my introduction to the Megami Tensei games. That the whole franchise, I'd never played any Megami Tensei or any personas this was my first persona game my dad got nocturne when i was 13 and i played it and had nightmares for a long time but was so into nice. it um but um what i was gonna say is three and four have four is like a really great story really great setting and all this kind of great sort of elements of narrative stuff like that three has a really great persona management and fighting system and five inch should take both those things integrate them and then perfect all of okay, it okay sweet so it was truly like the best of all of the persona games all at once in a way that's like honestly kind of overwhelmingly yeah, good. Yeah, it was kind of overwhelming, but also great. Okay, so yeah, the the music is something I need to talk about for a second. Okay, and I, now one thing you told me is very strange is that uh, uh, the music is different for you in your gameplay because you're playing it in Japanese. Um, I think the music is the same. I guess I the just lyrics. The lyrics. I guess are, I just didn't really translated. I guess right. No, some of them are in English. I guess more. 
is I don't think it's so much different. Like, I think the English and Japanese versions of the game have the same music and that the music is in English for a lot of it. Um, But I guess I just because I was not because I was playing in Japanese and trying to like focus on reading a lot, I guess I just didn't really pay attention to the lyrics or like, mm, okay. cause it's like, and also they're bangers. I, yeah. They're, they like, they're bangers. They're you know, bangers. It's nonstop. It's nonstop Be- fucking bangers. Because, because, because you have to hear, cause it's, they do this thing in JPROGs where it's like, we're going to make six songs and we're going to play them over and over again for 120 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I think and, my favorites were like when it, it's raining and you're at the cafe and stuff, but like you get, Griff, if you're if you're just dropping tracks, pull up the casino level theme. Uh, you want to play the casino one, Lux? You said the casino one or shapeshifter. Shapeshifter is also banks, really great. Yeah, um, and that's another part of what makes this game so good is that the style and the aesthetics and stuff. Oh yeah, this is a funky jam. Oh yeah, this all fits through. Like it has all. A similar aesthetic and vibe going through everything. This kind of like '70s noir sort of jet style, like in the line art and all that stuff, and also in the music and all of it goes back to these kind of ideas of like hidden layers and secret people and like mystery, right? And like the music, the lyrics refer to that, and like the even the musical references are very much sort of in that same vein of like your your Chinatowns, what have you, like that age of movies. Your like '70s thrillers are a huge influence, like aesthetic influence on it. Like every part of the game is about these themes of like choice and like what it means to like be a person making choice and like how we do that and like all the hidden parts that go into it right which is just like some next level totally art. and kind of going back to a thing i was talking to earlier like i loved how with the time aspect that you had to choose wisely like how you spent your time and that that also similarly encourages you to kind of role play your protagonist and so oh, yeah. the music definitely i think pushed me toward spending my days doing things that were like potentially like incredibly mundane, but I just really loved doing it. Like I spent so many days just like reading, like just reading books. I read like almost every book I think that you could buy. I watched a lot of movies and played video games a lot. I went to the movie because theater the a lot. So Be- well, I think it was mostly just like you hear that like rainy day at the cafe music, which I think is Shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it is Shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. We're about to hit Shapeshifter right. so hard right now. Um, that music just made me want to stay in and drink a coffee and read you know like I was just like gonna hang out. music reflects the mood yeah you hear this and you're just like I'm gonna read that book about that's gonna up my charm and or up my intelligence you know and I'm just gonna stay at the cafe and drink a coffee and eat a curry and read a book like that and that's so fun like it's not it's so mundane but it feels very fun to be able to make those choices as your character like I could go eat at the burger joint I could go play video games at the arcade but I think I'm just gonna stay in and not do my laundry (laughs) and and read a book you know like, and it's like I think another thing made me realize is like video game music sucks, and it's like I so I many totally RPG, disagree with there's that. There's so many RPGs where it's like the music is annoying after the hundredth time, in my opinion. Gotcha. And like I would shouts out to Dragon Quest. I 11. would listen to Great game terrible like, music every time that this song starts. Like I would. It's just like I never got tired of this song. It, this, this 
just like battle intro thing right here. That's funny. That's probably like that. If it, of, of any of the songs in the game, I think this was my least favorite. Really? Yeah. Oh. Man, I just feel like I'm on a heist. But then again, I've never been like a huge fan of battle music. Like anytime I'm playing any game, whether it's like Pokemon right, or Legend of Zelda, like the 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 calm field or like the the love interest character, those songs are always like my favorite because they're all very beautiful and legato and like very calming and, and ambient. And then the battle music is always so rough and aggressive, and I'm like, I don't want to listen to this like harsh like wartime beat i just want to go back to like hyrule for hyrule hyrule field or something like that you know there's a boss levels where the boss music is painful on the ears but moving on from music because uh uh we have a few things that we have to talk about with these games we talk about a lot of the good things of this game Mm -hmm. but we should probably talk about some of the creepy ass shit that goes down (laughs) in persona 5 oh this game is super horny like it's thirsty it's horny it's it's a little something for daddy uh it's got got all the it's got all the weird sex things we've said before it's on the show problems uh let's start with the <laughs> fact that uh yeah you can romance uh high school girls or you oh, can I did. romance I did. grown adult women uh that know you're in high school yes so uh, some of whom are your one of teacher them is your teacher that uh if you explore her path is also your maid that comes at night and cleans your house question mark yeah there's a yeah, lot there. It gets it's what weird. Is, wow, how do you how do you feel about this? So how do you separate the art from the artist? Uh <laughs> isn't that the question? Well, you don't have to because this is part I of mean, the art. Yeah, so separate the art from other parts of the art. Well, and who and who is the artist in this question? Is the artist the developers of the game or is the artist you as the player no, who can make these no, choices? They wrote all this shit. They're, they did this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, there are people responsible. <laughs> like, are you are you complicit yeah. in in the the kind of questionable nature of the game's design if you no, choose because I'm questioning to, it constantly when it's hap- when it's happening I'm uncomfortable <laughs> right so so one I of mean, the you are complicit in the way that we're complicit as spectators in like all kinds of fucked up media stuff but also I'm kind of with Griffin <laughs> The degree to which we're complicit is much less than the degree to which people at Atlas are. I was very willing to like find out what this teacher's story was until I realized that it was all this weird maid service stuff. Well, I actually don't think that's that actually didn't strike me as pretty problematic because that's like a thing that happens in the world. What made it weird was the part where she's clearly hitting on you sometimes and that's what was weird well it's and like, also isn't she like uh, not yeah. necessarily just like a maid but she's like a maid themed prostitute it's so tough yeah but it's not so for, tough to I, <laughs> it doesn't seem like she is that for you it doesn't look like that's her job it's part of like the trauma she's apologies dealing with. for using the word prostitute I, sh- I should probably use uh sex work sex worker i think is the is the new yeah, uh sex worker, sex worker the, is would the, be a better term yeah that's the labor friendly yes, the labor friendly term definitely sure. labor friendly term um because sex work is labor the same way coal mining is labor if someone tells you different Hundred percent. But the point being that that she, yeah, she is. I think it, it it's pretty. They hint very heavily that she is is a sex worker who does maid stuff. But in the context of y'all's relationship, she's like just a maid and like a person dealing with some like very and then intense we've got trauma. Drunk ass reporter that you can meet at a bar. The, she's a kind. She now she is a fucking. But she's, problem. But she's the devil character, guys. Like uh, yes, it's 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 made very clear that she is not a she is not a well behaved. Okay, so there's young there's problematic. Woman. So here's the other. Here's, here's why it's so 
jarring for me is not even just the realities and the laws, but that this game starts with like one of the main villains being an adult man that preys on the high school girls of the school. Oh, yeah. And then for that just to be completely chill when it's a dude and an adult woman, like seemed just like such a clash of values on its face that was like very uncomfortable. Yeah, well, I think I mean, I think that part of that is an intentional choice in the game's part that like even the not like fully evil people, like everyone has these degrees of like corruption and turnedness, right? Like that's part of why, I mean, you talk about the ending, like that's part of why this whole idea of like the grail and the degree to which like people allocate their like ability to make choice and like determine their own ethic to like a bigger evil monster system, uh, capitalism. <laughs> um, yep. but like, that's like the central theme of the game. And so even the people whose hearts you didn't have to steal cause they weren't fully fucked up, they still have part of that in them. So that's why like even, all the good guys you meet are still a little shady in some way or another. Sure. Sure. Especially the adults, like all adults are fucked up as like a premise of the game. And that's kind of that since the, some of the ways they express that in this game are uncomfortable as hell and maybe not. Well, and it kind of follows a a recurring theme I've found in, in Japanese, uh, in Japanese literature and movies and video games, which is like this theme where like the youth seem to have like a better grasp or feel like they have a better grasp on like ethics and morality than adults. And that all of the adults in the, in the world are somehow like corrupted and like not able to make decisions in as pure a way or in as like innocent and and rightful a way as children are. Regardless of what they did, the, the, the realities of what you exist in at times in the game is bonkers. It is (laughs) definitely bonkers. It is really bonkers. But again, it, it, it goes to this thing. Cause like, like Curl, like you were saying, there's, okay. So this game is like some very deep thematics, but at the end, what happens is you find all these people sort of bound to this thing called the Holy Grail. And the Grail basically tells everyone, like everyone's scared of making choices and scared of taking responsibility for themselves. So instead they just sort of let me like subtly control all their shit. Not like explicitly, but like in subtle ways, like manipulate how they act. And then they can sort of just sort of pawn off their consciousness and decision making onto me, the giant creepy cup, mm-hmm. the giant um, creepy cup, which is very cool because so to me, what's like what made me just very excited is that this is a philosophical idea that I like believe in very sincerely is this idea called undecidability, right? It's this mm-hmm. idea that if you have a set of ethical rules that you follow as like your way of making ethical choices, that makes you a bad person because only because you're, you're pawning off actual choice making to like a set of variables and like a flow chart basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Like is X or Y ethical according to the rules instead of being like, do, how do I feel? How does this moment play right. or whatever? Um, so you're not actually making choices. And this game is very critical of that kind of way of being. Right. And I think it's really smart how, because that's part of, and that, that idea of you have to make choices, you can't just pawn it off to a system. Things change, things vary. These are people are moving parts plays throughout the entire game, right? Like it goes to like the time stuff that you do or a bunch of the narratives is about old or older people taking advantage of their powers or not paying attention to other people or giving a shit about things. And like the whole game from the way you construct personas, the way you talk to people to what you have to do is all built around this idea of you have to make choices about yourself. And that, and it, it doesn't like, should I fuck this maid at my house at night? (laughs) But, um, moving on. uh, Also, you can't date any guys in the game, which I think is a little disappointing up. And the only gay characters in the game are this really weird couple that are almost used as comedy. They're characters. Yeah. Is not very cool. Uh, but moving on from, from dating these these uh, elderly, um, is wait, Griffin, who did you date in the game? We should all, we should all really fess up because it is revealing and it is groundbreaking. Yes. Um, I will start, (laughs) um, not proud of it, but I dated Anne. 
Panther. And okay, uh, Anne Takamaki. Seems yeah. obvious. Seems basic. Seems downright shameful to pick Anne. Uh, you know, she's the kind of uh, I wouldn't say generic, but I would say like she's the cheerleader kind of like boisterous blonde type. But she right? is really smart but and empathetic in comparison to I'm most of those. For, I'm a archetypes. sucker for like love narratives, and it really seems like Anne and you bond early on in the game. Like, right? You do not actually get to meet many of your love interests until about like 70 to 80 hours in for some of them futaba uh so it, it felt it felt like Anne was og you know yeah, like, like Anne started from the bottom with me and now we here right and it's like i can't not for not forget about Anne. i mean if you want to get into the the romance aspect of the <laughs> game early and is obviously yeah. is obviously the choice because she's the first one of the first yeah. characters you meet she's one of the first characters like er, you can romance her earliest in the game of all of the characters earliest. maybe her and yeah. and and also the deaf woman tai tai takama takemi tai takemi the doctor yeah the doctor who, the goth, also, goth doctor who i also romance who i came very close <laughs> Anyways, to romance enough about me who did you romance so I I romanced did you fall for and did you I, play the field? I decided from the very first time I watched the opening sequence that I wanted to romance Hacker Bay, which sure. is Futaba. Which is your sister. Futaba Sakura. So. Well, she's kind of like <laughs> your sister-esque kind of roommate because she's the so. daughter of Sojiro, who is your caretaker. So when you moved from your hometown to this new area of Tokyo to because you were uh, because you're on probation, um, you are entrusted to this guy named Sojiro and Futaba you find out about 60 hours into the game is his is his daughter who's like a shut-in and she will not leave her room and she like doesn't go to school and basically all she <laughs> like, does I am in love with that well <laughs> I was in love with the idea of like a very strong hacker bay because sure. I mean this is just be mainly because like hacking and and like that kind of cyberpunk aesthetic has always hacking been time. very important to me since like the Matrix so yeah. oh, um, yeah. obviously I was like gotta romance hacker bay however I will trinity. say goth doctor bay was also a very alluring choice Ooh, and yes. also available as a romance choice very early in the game like mm -hmm. you can start romancing Tai Takemi by like day 28 <laughs> oh, yes. or 30. I tried to be very woke and platform for me earlier but i romanced the hell out of that older woman i mean that right. was nice because you know at me i i'm now of age so it didn't feel weird for me i tried to right. forget that i was in high school you know? it was a little weird that like your whole romance your whole relationship is based on like her essentially putting you to sleep and then doing like you know sort of like uh like yeah it was medical it was, tests it's my dream you. yeah like making you sick so yeah. it, it kind of it's, creates this sort of like is this relationship toxic is to this me. like uh like because every time i hang <laughs> yeah. out with you babe you're like making me throw up so like what is this but also <laughs> but i got to level nine where you have to make yeah, the let's, let's, where you're, you have to make the decision yeah, whether or not you're of, going to romance this lead people. up here a lot of burying right. the lead here what, what i got to what? level nine with ty takemi and I still had not even met Futaba Sakura yet. Sure, sure, sure. So I was like, so you said, I don't, I don't want to say yes. Like I, I, I like this romance right now, but like maybe there's, you know, let's be honest, it's a problem with the game. They don't. They, it's also a problem in life. Like sometimes me, you meet somebody and then you're just like, late. but what else is out there? You know, young people struggle with this. Or at the same time, it's like, well, I'm meeting these interesting people, but you know, I'm kind of stay in my lane. You know, it's a lot of work to make a new friend. Right. 
I mean, there's all sorts of things. You um, never know what's going to come you your still way. still have not answered but, the question. So it's I been didn't, like 10 minutes of lead up. I didn't, I did not, I decided to reject Taya Takemi because Ooh. I wanted wow. to romance Futaba. And then when I met okay. Futaba, I romanced Futaba. Okay. Which was a cute little relationship. It's like she's now. Yeah, where, where does that go? She that is go? 14. So that's okay. like yeah. questionable. <laughs> um, that's, She's that's what my fourteen-year-old stepsister. Right. So there's there's a question the because same, like, you're like a junior in high school. You're like maybe seventeen. <laughs> I but understand like, the ten minutes lead up now. <laughs> this girl is like I think an eighth grader. If she were like in school, because she doesn't go to school, but she was like, she's like, she's would like be a freshman next year. Has to like retake a few. So she's like grades. fourteen or fifteen. So I mean. I guess you could call that questionable, but like they're all you're like 16 or 17. kind of. They're all underage. Like, I guess you could I could see like a 17 like, year old and a 15 like year old dating 14 year old you're, is a little bit more questionable, freshman. but like, yeah, you're dating a freshman. But like, she's a very talented, very cool. And uh, but she's so cool, guys. And she's like, she's she's, she, she's like, I mean, she's 16. And she also gives you <laughs> sick, sick buffs. Like, oh, yeah, my God, the metaverse buff. buffs that you get the from UFO? romancing yeah. Futaba is so tight. The UFO Colin? Well, it's a UFO up until you romance her and then she changes her persona. Yeah, then it becomes like the Necronomicon oh. thing. Because like, if you romance a persona that helps you in the metaverse, <laughs> like any of the people who have wow. nicknames like Joker or Noir, Fox, Skull, Oracle, like all of them that wow. actually exist with you wow. in the metaverse, they their persona changes when you yes. romance them. Okay. And so, so she's initially a spaceship and then she's like a cool glowing... Ethereal being. Yeah. Like she's like a cool glowing ball. Yeah. Well, her, her, cool. I think her, at least in English, her, her avatar becomes, uh, her persona becomes Necronomicon, yeah. hmm, which okay. is, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like a spooky book written by the quote, Matt Real quick Lux, who did you romance? Ass. Yeah. I'll rip through mine. Um, I started romancing the fortune teller cause I was like, Ooh, cool hippie chick. Uh, but then I decided that she was actually dumb. Uh, and so I decided to romance Hifumi because I love games. Oh, the show like player? Genius, I totally cool. should have. I should have. Should have called that. That's great. Hifumi was cool too. Yeah, of course. As soon as, I, as, as soon as I met Hifumi, I was like, "Oh, you're gonna be the one." <laughs> Honestly, when I met Hifumi, I also was like, "Man, I'm dating Anne right now, and I and I and I I'm not gonna play Anne, but I think me and Hifumi could have had something, you know? Oh, what could have been there? Okay." We've talked about the relationships for a long time and we're go we are running long, but I do want to talk about one more thing at least because we haven't even touched on the like combat and the personas. Okay. Right? Like the big part yeah. of what the game is. Totally. Right? Um so I just want to talk about like how did you guys did you guys like the because per- I didn't realize like you're both first like persona games. Did you guys like the persona system? It's kind of just like more complicated Pokemon with like elements where well, like you like use elements against other elements and then your whole goal is to like not take damage because you're surviving a long dungeon. So like your whole goal is to like stun lock the other opponents before the fight even begins so you can kind of like cream them and if you don't like stun lock them enough with the other elements and resistances and weaknesses you're going to have problems and you're not going to make it very far in the dungeon and you're going to have to like make it like a multiple day dungeon thing and and basically as soon as you get ambushed you're like you have a very high chance of dying it's all about stamina yeah and and, and, uh it's it, it was fun a lot of the times, and there was just a few times in certain boss battles or moments where I was confused on how to progress. Uh, right. There's a few bosses where it's like, oh, you actually yeah. need to do this secret move or whatever to really yeah. get them. Um, so, yeah, I I really enjoyed the persona system. I loved how it was all 
uh, kind of organized around the tarot. And there's there's a lot of organizational things that I think are really clever and good about the Persona games, yeah. because I feel like in order to make a game like this even possible and fun to play you know you need to give the player these very well-known systems of organization to be able to even like keep it all in your head and ma- and have it all make sense so like all of the all of the right. main you know the main bosses are revolving loosely around like the seven deadly sins now all all seven are not represented it's really only like five of them but all of the all of the enemies revolve around these sins and all of your personas are basically following the major arcana of the tarot, which is really cool, but didn't really I don't think any like I don't think the personas necessarily fit like neatly into these into this system. It was just like sort of arbitrary in that sense, but still really cool. Well, and a lot of them are like historical references that like you can like do a little like brain twisties to like make them fit into like their various like right and that's like like, maybe this angel has like these traits or blah 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 and this card is this tarot is the whatever right i don't have it straight in front of me like you know there are ways you like they don't you're, they feel mostly arbitrary, but that you can do a little legwork, and there's like some some more depth there than way more depth than you get in like most totally. other games. And just for that like sort of just more style, just yeah. The combat, the holdups were so great, and just the just the scope of all of the all of where they drew influence from in this game is so staggering. Like just the personas alone are drawing on mythology and folklore from so many different sources. You've got personas that are named after Norse gods like Odin and stuff like that. You've got personas that are named after Christian, like Western gods like Lucifer and stuff like that. You've got Shiva, an Indian character. You've got Dionysus, like Greek mythology. For audiences listening, uh, the guest does have a notebook and they are flipping to the page two. So he has done lots of research. Yeah, I, I made some notes, but like you have Zoro, which is like New World Spanish. You have a bunch of Japanese ones like Inugami and Kodama and Goemon, like things from Japanese folklore, Siegfried from German folklore, yeah. like Huapo, Chinese. Uh, like you got it's all like, of can these they even things. write anything themselves? Well, th- but they did. It's, it's like, I think <laughs> the, it, it, it's like. <laughs> it's th- just the organization the in and of itself is way. the writing is like drawing on so many of these influences and putting them all together and saying like, look, the world is really big and y- there's so much to learn and so many cool pathways to take. Like, here's all of them. Yeah. And that I think created a very right. interesting aspect of the game where, you know, I tried to have personas that weren't necessarily like the best in the game strength wise or like you Weird. know certain like that I, I would try and have personas that looked cool and felt like sure, personas you, that I would want in my deck of there personas. was cool looking ones that I definitely kept for longer than was their time because they looked yeah. so good right and I love well, one thing one more thing I love about that about this organization thing is that like it's all mythology stuff like that and because the game's so interested in the subconscious and all that kind of shit it's very like again it's like more of that like top to bottom design where it's like all these like myths god creatures and stuff are all you know subconsciously representations all like surrealism kind totally. of stuff and again they draw on all that in a way that makes like in as you, in a lot of games would be like oh they're named for the tarot because the tarot whatever it's cool but in this game it's like the names of the tarot because the tarot reflect like this idea and this idea and this idea of like on the way this way interacts the subconscious etc and it becomes like this really fucking smart like just another exercise in the themes of the game that when once you finish you can look back and be like every single choice 
directs towards yeah, these ideas. It's like enriching to the story and so also dope. helpful for just like the mental organization of the entire game for the player, which is great. You know, it makes it really easy to keep all these characters in your head knowing that they each correspond to a tarot card and like all of these personas pers- correspond to a tarot card, things like that. Yeah, for sure. Griffin, I think you were about to take us into commercial and if you want to go for no, it. I was <laughs> saying this episode is getting long, but that reminded me of the last topic that had to be talked about, which is the fucking length of this game. There are, there I are like uh, a return of the King's amount of endings. <laughs> uh, yeah. At least I think it, it really, that, I think it outdoes true. return of the Kings uh, in terms of amount of endings oh, yeah, it, 100%. Uh, there was a moment in the game where it was about a hundred and five hours in where i was like oh the game's ending and then i was like no it's not ending in fact you have 20 more hours at least to play uh i thought it was a great game but it was 20 hours too long and then really bullshit that they make you play through all of the mementos after clearly claiming it was an optional area at the start of the game. Yeah, that's the bullshit part. I don't mind the length, but the fact that it like clearly misleads you on these like optional dungeons is like a true. So I don't do optional move. dungeons. I've got shit to do. Okay. You're like a uh, main storyline kind of guy. I'm a main storyline kind of guy. And the fact that uh, I hadn't done any of mementos. So then I had to go back and play through all of it to get to the ending was in Oh, see, I I did mementos like all of the dungeons, like the big palaces. I would pretty much get them done, like almost all the way to the end done within like the first two or three days of each palace. So then I had like unending time to do either mementos or to build my real world characters stats and like read and go to movies and stuff. Um, But usually I it was it seemed pretty easy with each with the timing of everything, like which day was like a really good day to go to mementos. And so I did mementos, uh, in a kind of periodic way throughout the game. So like when you get to the end of the game and you have to get to the, the depths of mementos to, to get into your next dungeon, I was already there. I had already done all of it. Yeah. Me mm-hmm. as well. But anyways, uh, speaking of the depths of uh, something, we're reaching really the depths of this podcast. Uh, killer segue, Griffin. Yeah, we uh, are shattering the land um, record. So we're going to do a little commercial break, and we'll see you right after this. What, what do you want us to sell? Pocky. Pocky. Okay, I got it. Oh, man, I've got my phone, my wallet, my keys, my lighter. I can't fit all this in my pockets. If only there was something new in the world of pockets. Wait, (laughs) what? I don't know what Pocky is. I thought it was a made-up word, so I went, okay, Pockies. Like, stop in my Pockies. I love it. I love it. Uh, You know what you can also put in your pockets is is a, a delicious icing covered bread snack which is called Pocky. And that was the commercial for Pocky. Aha. Uh-huh. Hello internet, welcome back to the Game Boys podcast. My name is still Lux, your host is still Griffin Davis and your guest is still Crow Dumek and guess what? We're not getting to the next seven because we're still talking about Persona 5, breaking the pattern, doing it a little different today because this game is it's huge. so big. Yeah, so Crow, there were a few things during our break that you said you wanted to talk about that we hadn't talked about yet, so why don't you pick one off the list and let's um, get into it. Really, because I know you'll love to talk about this, Lux, um, 
I want to talk about Bernie Sanders, who is in the game. Yes. Believe yes, it or there not. There is a, a Bernie Sanders adjacent and there's a Bernie Sanders adjacent NPC who believes in, in labor rights and the people who is basically juxtaposed to the evil politician that uh, got you in trouble in the really first place. that's really going to affect my real... score and my pull m- by your bootstraps mentality. Also... Yeah, well, Griffin's a libertarian. <laughs> uh, uh, I did Goro Akechi. The, uh... <laughs> Goro is <laughs> such a, a beautiful boy, though. He, he, is, he is. I mean, he, I wouldn't fault you... He's the Timothy Chalamet yeah. of Persona 5. <laughs> I wouldn't fault you for wanting to date Goro Akechi. When I saw him, I was like, ooh... Gulp. He's yeah. a really good character, but that plot's a little rushed for me. Yes, the Bernie Sanders character is actually one of, I think we can just lump this together into a little slightly larger conversation, like, is one of several NPCs um, the, uh, that you were talking about that you give you various bonuses um, throughout the game. He's certainly my favorite, um, I think, of all of them. But there's, yeah, it's a, which is a really great, like, that component of, like, socializing with different strangers. Like, we talked about the romance options, also these friend options with different with people you can befriend, stuff like that. Like, the gun store owner or the weird kid of the arcade, etc. Um, and I think that's, like, a really dope component of the game, particularly, like, as you say, that there's this Bernie Sanders-esque character who makes a very clear point about what the game's politics are and what they believe is good and bad right. in the world. And the game does not keep that secret, No, really. yeah, I liked what you said earlier about it kind of pushing this idea that you need to make decisions for yourself and you, and it's dangerous to adhere to any sort of like rule set or system that's already established and named. And I guess you can kind of just call this like dogma, you know, like it's kind of anti dogma. Yeah, any kind of dogma. You exactly. know? It's like whether that's religious or like economic, like it's kind of against capitalism, but it's kind of against any sort of economic dogma. It's against any sort of like religious dogma because it because, you know, ascribing to one of these set systems of rules and ethics and morality and things like that keeps you from being a being like a a critically thinking independent person which is what it mostly promotes it promotes you having this very custom you know case by case way of dealing with the world and dealing with problems and and it and it very much promotes seeing the nuance in things and where you know people are complicated and that not all bad people are purely bad and not all good people are purely good, you know, and this makes for a much richer character set. Yeah, absolutely. Like the game, the game is very invested in, in you sort of, uh, what's a good way to put this? The game is very invested in you, uh, being, being challenged to like figure out how you feel about most everything. And it's, it's very sort of like Nietzsche in that kind of way. And it's very much about like this idea of, of freedom and of more in particular, this idea that like, you shouldn't take the rules, the systems, the truths of the world as given for like, as granted by like, cause they're made by people. Right. Right. And the game says like, they're made by people. And some of those people are shitty. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those people are shitty. And so the game wants you to sort of challenge the ideas of like, this is the way the world works. This is the way relationships of power, et cetera, et cetera. The game is very active in that front, which is a really cool thing. Cause a lot of games, honestly, are politically pretty conservative. Right. Um, even games that are like kill the system are still like, but we got ethics and rules. Yeah, and, baby. and the symbol and of the system is usually some like outlying social nor- like archetype. Like it's always some kind of like gay adjacent person or like a kind of social outcast of some sort. It's but I like that this or game it's just is like nebulously rich. Right, people. But I like that the I like the 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 character archetypes that they chose for the villains in this game because they they're all like very 
unquestionably bad like to be a person who is like abusing their position of power to get sexual favors from high school students is unquestionably bad but like also these people are like stealing artwork from your students is bad you know things like that but they they get to a point where they humanize these people like when you defeat them and you you steal their heart and they have a change of heart you know i did appreciate how even though their transgressions are not necessarily forgivable, it's it's nice that they take the time to then show you like them trying to ask for forgiveness and trying to right their wrongs and things like that. I don't that. know. They do stupid ass shit though, guys. I'm sorry. Like the bosses de-escalate in crazy ways. The first boss is like basically like almost raping high school girls. The second boss is like a plag- art plagiarist. They de-escalate in crazy well, what, you're ways. Looking, it's, well, that's because you're not that's, Oh my god, he's actually getting that's mad. That's not looking... <laughs> Well, because that's wrong um, is the thing. It's the escalation of sin isn't linear, but the escalation of power of the person making the committing the crime right. is linear. So with each new villain, uh, I, with I, each I, new villain, they bullshit. get they have more power. Like obviously, like a high school volleyball yeah, coach has way less power right. than a banker, like Yakuza banker guy, who obviously has way less power than one of the most powerful politicians in the country you know so obviously the, the level of power that these people Status have is different than bigger. crime and that's what villainy is to me but that's but then you're missing the point of the game right the game is about how <laughs> positions of power i mean sorry but that's the case <laughs> yeah but um, jesus the game Christ. is about how people utilize the, the way that people utilize and abuse the abilities of like power and structural power given to them so you're right that like the crimes are different and so things like Sexual abuse are far worse than art thievery, but it's a question of the way in which those people are empowered and given power and freed from like the shackles of like, actual morality by that power in that. Right. Way. I agree with and, you, and but I already feel better about how I handled Kingdom Hearts compared to how you're handling Persona. Yeah, I'm just right. <laughs> but, but, but I guess what I was trying to kind of get at is I, I liked how it humanizes it, it humanizes the villains in a way, but also doesn't fail to keep in context and keep in your in the in the player's view the ways in which these transgressions are unforgivable but at least they're trying to ask for forgiveness like how you know they 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 kind of have this change of heart well i I guess what i like is that you know in in an american paradigm you'd basically be kind of encouraged as a player to be like oh well just kill them you know just like take their life you know like let's let's beat the enemy by like literally eliminating them but this is like you beat them and then it shows them trying to ask for forgiveness not always necessarily getting it like i think you know kamoshida gets fired and and like says he's basically going to kill himself and then all you really see as like a crowd reaction is like the students being like whoa heavy you know like but and yeah. so that's not well, like an yeah. endorsement of like it's not really like they're giving him forgive the forgiveness he's asking for but they're showing at least him trying and then showing like a reaction and the same is true for like the Okumada foods guy but he doesn't really get to ask for forgiveness yeah. because he dies he gets but like, but no well and that's because the game's showing two things there right? it's showing both what you're talking about this idea like forgive people are going to ask for forgiveness forgiveness is capable and like that's an important part of it and also how the power that they get corrupts people who may have been like not actually so bad when it all started. Right. Like some of them, like, like the art guy, for example, is a guy who's like, I was a really great artist. And then the desperation that came with wanting to hold on to my position of power as like a great artist, led me doing all these terrible things. So it shows like there's a person in there underneath all the shitty stuff. It's just like, 
do we think they deserve forgiveness or not? It's like a question the game asks in a real way, which is like a real question that we deal with in real life right. all the time. And I feel like oftentimes as coming from the perspective of like the, you know, somebody in the, in the, in the position of like the protagonist, like let's just say for hypothetically speaking that we're just like, because most of the people playing the game are these are going to be like generally young, generally powerless roughly people in comparison to these type of villains and so you know it's very easy for people in that position to be like uh fuck them like let's just take them down completely but like it is cool it how it reiterates this this um over and over again this this idea that like the more power you have the more responsibility you have to not abuse that yeah absolutely you know and so we see all of these instances and i love all of the instances that they chose to show like you know sexual abuse is a, an abuse of power and like being a yakuza guy who like you know intimidates people to the point of that that, that you can steal their money is wrong and then like being a politician that's just you know corrupt and doing things just for his own like financial gain and power gain is irresponsible but that but it also shows how the vast majority of people are kind of complicit in giving these people power uh, by just like by doing what you said earlier, like like by uh, ascribing to this like rule set that allows them to like not make decisions for themselves. Like that's how somebody like right, Shido exactly. and it, anybody from Kam- Kamoshida to Shido, all of them get power in this same mechanism by like the people who have ceased to critically think and call out abuses of power when they see it. You know, those people are are the basis, are the foundation of these people's power. Absolutely. And speaking of abuse, we should stop abusing our listeners' eardrums and give them a little break by getting to the part where we rate this game. Oh, yeah, gang. Let's, so let's rate get, it. Let's all give our final thoughts on this game. Rate a scale of one to five joysticks. Uh, Griffin, you're sort of sitting there doing anything, so why don't you go first so you can get back in the mix? Yeah. Um, as opposed to you two who are standing. Uh, so, uh, I'll give it, uh, you know, it's a good game. I had a lot of fun. It's 20 hours too long. Uh, and uh, it's a little creepy at times and they make you play an optional area. But other than that, it was quite an incredible experience in the music. I still listen to it in the car. It's bangs. It's awesome. Uh, and I'll definitely play the next one. So I'm gonna give it four to five. Wow. Nice. Um, I have to give this one five out of five joysticks. Like there are very few games that reach this level of complexity and, and, and robustness and just, and, and for me personally, like, like, what I was saying before about it being like an interesting gameplay experience, not just because of the game itself, but like where and how I was playing it. Um, I just have to give it five out of five. Like that it's going to go down in history as like one of the best video game experiences I've ever had. So hell yeah. Fair enough. That's, um, that's pretty great. I'll go real fast too. Uh, one of my rules as you know, on the show is that if I think there's a better version of a game, I can't give that game a five out of five. And I think persona four is just a little bit better than persona five. I think the story is more compelling. I was more interested in it. I liked it a little bit better. It's paced a little bit better. Deals a lot of Griffin's issues. The combat's a little bit more annoying, but I think that overall it's a little better game. So Persona 4 would get a 5, but Persona 5 gets a 4 and a half out of 5 because it's just not quite Sorry, there. not a perfect game. Bye! <laughs> I guess I'll have to play Persona 4 very now. close, but it's just not quite as good as the one before it. Um, now, real quick, let's get to everyone's favorite segment in Tyler's segments. That's right, it's time for the segment segment. Griffin, what is your uh, segment? Okay, guys, it's a brand new segment. Uh, I'm a, I was a little uh, disappointed with some of the constraints of the dating in uh, Persona 5. So we're doing something, uh, it's a little bit more, out, out, more. I think, our speed. It's called uh, Camp, Vamp, and Ham. Uh, we're gonna go
go through uh, a list of characters from Persona, and we're going to include some guys, too. Beautiful. Uh, and you're going to decide, uh, you're going to pick three, which one you would want to go camping with, which one is so hot, you just want to drink their blood, vamp, mm-hmm. and or hamp, which one you just want to have <laughs> old money and like settle down the Hamptons with. Um, so, okay, yes, camp, van, and ham. A mental stretch uh, for sure, but I like this game. And uh, so, uh, reminding some of the characters, you know, we've got uh, Makoto, who's kind of like Hermione. We got mm-hmm. ha- Haru Akamura, who's that that uh, that rich girl. Uh, we got Ann Takamaki, the cheerleader. We got Futaba, the shy computer girl. Uh, we got Chiaya. Uh, that's not how you say her name. Chihaya. Chihaya, Chihaya the fortune yeah. teller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taite Kemi, the adult doctor. Oya Achiko, the drunk reporter. Hafumi Togo, the chess player. And we got some dudes in the mix. We got Ryuji, who's kind of like an idiot. <laughs> uh, we've got Yusuke, who's artsy. Uh, Goro Akechi, who's preppy. Uh, and Igor, uh, who is uh, a troll under a bridge. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, I think I know what my. Uh, I'll start I think with I know mine. Uh, are, are you ready? No, no Lux can start. Lux he can already start. knows. Okay. Like, go for it. I think I would camp with Igor because um, I want to hear all the stories, and camping is like the classic story zone. I think I would vamp Goro Akechi because, as we sort of talked about briefly, Goro is presented in such a dreamier way than everyone Bishan else. Maximum. Um, yeah, he's a maximum dreamer. And then I want to hamp with Hifumi because Hifumi loves games, loves strategy. I feel like Hifumi and I could spend all night in the Hamptons strategizing shogi plans. Hell yeah, definitely. Griffin, what's, what about um, you? Okay, so I think I'm going to camp with Anne just because I don't go camping that often. Uh, and I just, you know, it's not, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, but I definitely also want to vamp Goro Akechi. I want to drink his blood. Uh, he's got great hair. And I think if I drink most of his blood, maybe I'll get some of that hair. Uh, and then just suck it down a little extra. I think, you know, I, I was thinking Hifumi to hamp, but I think I would truly hamp with Makoto. I think that there's something type A about Makoto that I just really vibe with. And, and I could see both of us just like organizing our China together in our Hamptons home. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's actually, I, <laughs> I can see that for sure. That makes so much sense. Okay. All right. Crow, All right. Cool. Got? So camping, I would definitely 100% uh want to camp with Sojiro Sakura because he can make great coffee and he can make great curry. Yes. We would have a fantastic camping experience. I would answer. not have any hesitation about being out in the wilderness with such a wise and capable man. Um beautiful answer. I would vamp Tai Takemi because she would super be into it. Like definitely hands down, no question, Tai Takemi. The adult doctor, the goth doctor. Yeah, she's the goth doctor. Like, not only would she be into it and like be willing for me to suck her blood, she would probably bring like a new level of depth to the experience. Mm Because I don't know what she's got uh, behind those lips, you know? Like she might have teeth of her own. Yeah. Yeah. Can vampires suck vampires? There's nothing there, right? I just don't think it really does exactly the same thing. Like they don't, they don't, they need the human blood. Sure. Speaking um, of human blood, uh, where would you go to the Hamptons? In? Um, I think the Hamptons. I would take. I would. <laughs> I would honestly take Morgana to the Hamptons because, like, why do I need a human to live alone in my cool big mansion? I just want a cat 
who is able to talk and also pretty rad and like yeah, uh, and, 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 and an A++ friend. Well, actually, Morgana is in love with Anne. Oh, um, But I did feel like... Morgana wants to vamp Anne. Yeah, but I did like well, wants you to go the, to bed. the way that relationship unfolded. It was very genuine and nice. Like, I really have a very soft spot in my heart for Morgana, so... I love. I would. I would. I would hamp it up with well, with my cat. That's been camp vamper hamp. What an incredible! I think I really vibed with Crow's answers the most. Um, but everyone had excellent stuff for the first first segment of that. Uh, Lux, what do you? You got? almost had the same answers. <laughs> you and <laughs> Griff. You were one step away from being two out of three. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Who's the first one? Yeah, because you're like. Well, you were like. I almost took Hifumi, which is what I took, and then we both had Goro. Mm-hmm. You both vamped Goro. You both chose your love interest for that you chose in the game either to go camping with or to hamp it up in the Hamptons with um, and then you basically just chose oh like a wild card to like do something yeah you know oh my god we're more we're we're more similar than we thought you although and I. I really can't oh. fault y'all for wanting to vamp Goro Akechi he is such a snack he's very vampable speaking of snacks great segue to everyone's favorite segment about whether or not video game characters eat ass it's time for do they eat ass here's how this game do works I will list three characters from video games in particular from the video game Persona 5 and y'all will decide whether it is through cooperative conversation or combative conflict do these characters eat ass the first on our list is in fact the cat that wants you to go to bed it's Morgana does Morgana eat ass she she he I keep forgetting he 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 uses he pronouns uh he has kind of a a feminine kind of voice but uh, at least in the in the in the Japanese version his voice is sounds kind of feminine so I I had like but he 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 elects to use the he him pronoun so he he probably eats his own ass I mean he's a cat yeah I would I wouldn't let I wouldn't let Morgana do it even if Morgana wanted to do it. I'm sorry, Morgana's annoying. I'm not going to bed. Sorry, Morgana, you canceled. (laughs) Sorry, Morgana, I'm staying up late tonight. Sorry, and I'm not taking a shower. Yeah, I'm not taking a shower, and I'm staying up past nine thirty. I don't care if the sun went down. Um, all right. After that, we've got everyone's favorite weird punk from your high school. Does Ryuji? The most annoying character in the game. Oh, eat yeah. ass. God, I hate Ryuji so much. <laughs> who doesn't? Me too. Who doesn't dislike Ryuji? I mean, he's like Burf. Burf loved Ryuji. Why does Burf love Ryuji? <laughs> because he eats ass. Is because his? It, does he look at Ryuji <laughs> as like pro- a project? I know Burf is a teacher. Does he look at Ryuji as like a project, like a problem child? That oh, that is maybe so. Big Actually, time definitely to that. Nailed it on that one. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen that. such a swish. <laughs> verbal, verbal swish in my life. Wow. Uh, yeah, a Burford. Really, yeah. Friend of the show, roommate of former roommate of Griffin's current roommate of mine. Look, mm-hmm. look yourself in Loves the mirror Ryuji. on that one. Um, I know you're listening. But right? to yeah. answer your question, maybe. I don't know. I would have to do more. I didn't do enough digging into Sometimes the Ryuji like storyline, and I totally. That's totally, totally cool. Sometimes it's like, do I want to commit to to labeling a sexual? preference on someone well maybe not i similarly yeah i I similarly didn't really like ryuji and so i i maybe only got to like level one or two with him so i feel like i i have to withhold judgment because i i don't know maybe by level nine you found out that he definitely eats asshole like oh it's true like maybe his persona like like turned into a giant tongue and it just like went right up like enemies butts or like a giant dick on wheels correct (laughs) bro Crow is actually, I think, is is correct that as the, as you get closer, you learn that Ryuji is a functional is actually a much more selfless person than is presented 
earlier in the show, which as we sort of can sort of got into writing the segment a bunch of times, probably means that he eats ass. Yeah, or at least that he would to make somebody else happy. Right, and that's the key, right? That's why this isn't really a question of sexuality. It's a question of nobility. Yeah, Um, chivalry, really. Yeah, for sure. They say it's dead, but it's not. It just eats ass. And finally, of course, the last memory of your starting three, we're talking Anne Tamaki, Griffin's favorite love interest of all time. Does Anne Tamaki eat ass? Whoa. Only if it's bleached. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) Which which listeners? It is. <laughs> no better way to end the show than that. Take us home, gong. A perfect way to end it. Yeah, well, we're going to be out of here in a second. Uh, if you want to hear more from us, you know how to find us. We'll tell you about it in a second. But before we hear about us, let's hear about Crow. Crow, where can people find more about you on the internet? Well, uh, on pretty much all of my social media, uh, I'm at WulongThinks. That's W U L O N G Thinks. Uh, and that's pretty much where you can find me on pretty much Insta, Twitter. I haven't been using Twitter as much lately. I'd say Insta is probably my main uh, social media. I'll, I'll, I will give you, I will say, I'll give a big endorse on checking out the Insta Big Reco. There's some really fantastic illustrations and photos up there. Right, it's Inktober right now. Out. Yeah, it's as, Inktober right now, yeah. and uh, Crow has been murdering the game. It's check out the Insta. It's a bunch of great shit. Thanks, Griffman. What do you where, you, where can people find more of you? Oh my, man, my, you can my, find my, us on my Game Boys Pod on Instagram, and you can find me struggling to create a more viral Twitter handle at Shut Up Griffin on Twitter. Uh-huh. Aha! <laughs> um, yeah, you can find us in those places. Uh, make sure to check out my other, t- my other two podcasts, the Respect My Authority and the Burrito. Um, if you're interested in things like the South Park or the Good Place, my videos are on Wisecrack. And of course, please go to iTunes, subscribe, give us a five star review, help other people find our show. If you like it, that means your friends will like it. So tell them about it. And the more five stars we get, the more random strangers will see it and they might like it too. So help people here learn about the show by going to iTunes, writing a review, and giving us a five star rating. And that will be it for today. My name is Lux. I'm your host. Your co host is Griffin Davis. Your guest is Crow Dumeg. Your editor is Haley Clement. Your international music is by Matthew Morton. Your art is by Brittany Metz. Goodbye, Internet. We love you very much. Bye, Internet. Never see it coming. It's my last surprise.